Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hello and welcome to the show. Through the month of July, five of the eight capital cities in Australia saw a decline in dwelling values. However, values in Australia are 8% higher over the past 12 months. Mixed messages? Well, maybe. So this week, I'm talking to Eliza Owen from CoreLogic, and we'll discuss growth rates, interest rates, listing numbers, indicators like time to sell, how much sellers are currently discounting, and how much tenants have to pay right now. This certainly is going to be a very revealing 30 minutes or so with Eliza and possibly one of the most comprehensive microscopic looks at the property market. All that coming up in just a moment. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. And we say a special welcome to Eliza Owen from CoreLogic. Eliza, great to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Right off the bat, I've got to say, very, very impressed with the... um, what do you call that report, all the, all the graphs? Yeah, so it's called our monthly housing chart pack and we try and push it out in the first week of each month off the back of our home value index. So if you go to corelogic.com.au, you can find a link to subscribe to this free monthly chart pack and it's just an overview of what's happening with prices, sales, listings, the housing finance environment and a bit on a approvals and construction activity as well. A really good summary of all the different dynamics in the housing market. Yeah, well, we're going to unpack around about 10 or 12 of those um, those stats, which will give us a really great insight into what the market's doing. So let's, let's uh, pull the first one up, which really shows us that the, um, the value is that the combined value of residential real estate in Australia has come back a little bit, but still well ahead of stocks and superannuation. Yeah, so Australia's housing market generally has a far higher value, even than the combined worth of the ASX superannuation and commercial real estate. Uh, A couple of months ago, we were seeing the combined value of resi real estate sitting just under $10 trillion uh, at $9.95 trillion. Uh, And that's just come back to about $9.8 trillion. So even though prices are coming down, I think that stat just emphasizes the importance of resi real estate as an asset to Australians. And it makes up a big chunk of household wealth as well. So not only is housing um, very important in terms of having a secure accommodation, but in terms of your long-term wealth strategy, um, resi real estate makes up a really vital par- part of security for, for later in life as well. Yeah, I mean, when we're looking at commercial real estate, we're looking at, a, what's the graph say there, $1.2 trillion, uh, and uh, superannuation. Uh, what's the superannuation figure at uh, three and a half trillion? So, you know, keeping that in perspective, it just shows you the value. How does that stack up? And this is a question without notice, Eliza, and I apologise for that. But how does how does Australian residential real estate and its value compare to, say, overseas countries? Is there is that an an unusual Australian idiom? 
You know, I, I don't think it is. I think if we look even across the Tasman, it's um, pretty comparable in terms of the share of household wealth for New Zealand. Um, and the fact that it is such a highly desirable asset um, and one that is unique in that every person has a relationship to real estate. So I think that supports a lot of the quite widespread demand and value that you see behind real estate as opposed to something like shares and equity um, where, you know, not everyone might have the the knowledge of that or relationship to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is a very important asset globally, of course. Yeah, I must admit uh, I've always shied clear of shares. I've never un- quite understood them. I've always been involved in real estate. And, and I've got to say the, the latest trend with cryptocurrency, you know, we've got some friends who have invested in that. And I, I've got to say I don't really understand it. So maybe that's topic for another conversation. Can I, can I just um, say while we're still talking about the value of uh, residential real estate in Australia, it would be easier to say, well, it's come back from 9.9 trillion to 9.8 trillion or whatever those figures were. But I think keep that in perspective, if we bring up our second graph, which shows us what's happened with values over the last 12 months, and I think it shows about an 8% increase. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, that 8% year-on-year lift is down cyclically. Um, There was a peak of annual growth rates of over 22% back in January of this year. So the the slowdown in the annual growth rate is a a function of of some of those high um, increases um, sort of moving through the data as as we shift forward in time. But that is a good point. Um, We've seen housing values 2% lower over the three months to July. But at the end of the day, this is off a very large upswing in values where the the complete growth through the upswing was about 28% nationally. Mm. So one of the biggest uplifts that we've seen since the 1980s. Um, And often when we do see declines in Australia's housing market, they aren't as long as the upswing periods typically. Uh, and they're not as severe as the upswing period. So that's why even though you get these short-term cyclical movements in the housing market over time, it is tended to trend higher. Yeah, the reason I, I was really keen to bring this particular graphic up was because there's two really good points in here, one you just made, and that is comparing the growth over the last 12 months to the growth in the last two months, and you can or three months, sorry, and you can see how the market has definitely slowed. And that's also reflected in... Some of the figures we're going to show later when we compare capital cities with regions and you'll see what has happened. And it also talks about how dynamic those capital city or how important those capital city values are in terms of the overall value around Australia, Eliza. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of the regional areas, we're starting to see a bit of a slowdown. But there's still a a fairly significant difference between growth rates across the two major markets. Mm -hmm. So year on year, um, your capital city home values are up about 5.5%. Regional Australia is still up in double digits, so 17% over the past year. So part of that is a function of the fact that this has been a particularly strong upswing for the regions, supported by some of the demographic trends we saw through COVID, notably less people moving away from regional Australia to cities for obvious reasons over the past two years. 
um, and and a little bit of a boost if, in people moving from capital cities to regions as well. Mm-hmm. So that's led to an unusually large upswing there. Um, the other thing to note about regional Australia is that the trends tend to be a little more lagged compared to what we see in the capital cities. Um, so I don't think that regional Australia is necessarily immune to a, a downturn amid rising rates, um, but often it's been a slower and steadier performer. Mm-hmm. So it could be that the decline isn't as intense as what we see in some of those more volatile markets like Sydney and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Let's bring up the uh, the 12 months change graph firstly, because this this sort of talks to what we what we just mentioned about the difference between the 12-month growth and, and the figures over the last three months. Let's have a look at the first graph, which is about the 12-month change showing um, growth of 8%. And we can see there that massive growth in the regions at 17% compared to the combined capitals at 5.4%. It, it, it really tells a big picture, doesn't it? Yeah, and what's interesting is that if you look at that part on the right, the time series of growth over time, the previous cycle didn't show as strong an uplift in regional Australia compared to the capital cities. Mm. Um, So you can see that the latest upswing has been unique in that regard. Um, And similarly, you can see that the downturn in um, regional Australia wasn't as severe as what we saw in the previous cycle as well. Mm. Um, there does tend to be a little more inherent volatility in the capital cities just because they're a more expensive market. So they're going to be more uh, sensitive to changes in interest rate conditions. Mm. By comparison, you look at the three-month graph, which is the one we'll bring up now, and you can see the difference there um, with the 2%, yeah. Yeah, 2% or, or minus 2% across Australia. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at that higher frequency growth rate, this is where we can see that um, capital city markets are leading the decline, again, with that additional sensitivity to interest rates, down about 2.5%. Regional Australia has started to move into its downswing phase by this measure as well. So mm-hmm. value is pretty much flat over the quarter um, and, and it should uh, follow a bit of that decline as well. Mm-hmm. Eliza, stay with me um, after this very short break. I want to come back. I want to talk about um, the other aspects, which is, you know, sales volumes, vendor discounting, days on market, which is always something that tells um, really where the market's headed. You're talking about the future. It's it's great. Stay with us. Um, this is Realty Talk. Uh, I'm Kevin Turner with Eliza Owen from CoolLogic, and we'll be back in just a moment. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Eliza Owen from CoreLogic, and we're unpacking this great list of charts. We uh, we just go to the CoreLogic uh, website, corelogic.com.au, Eliza, to get this report. Yeah, that's right. Or you can even just Google monthly housing chart pack CoreLogic. 
Um, if you subscribe to that report, you'll get a copy each month in your inbox with the latest on prices, sales and listings information, mm. as well as other key data uh, related to the housing market. Yeah, it's, it's a tremendous report. Okay, let's let's move to our next graph, which really talks about sales volume and, and how it is beginning to ease. I was um, uh, interested to see the number of sales, uh, almost 600,000 over the year, but that, that I believe is down a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, so what we're seeing is a, still a pretty high annual sales volume of nearly 600,000. Um, and that's pretty steady compared to the previous 12-month period. But again, when we start looking at a shorter time frame, so the three months to July, that's actually a fair bit lower than the three-month sales volume from this time last year. Well, well having said that, we'll bring up the um, the three-month um, the, the yes. three value now, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there you should be able to see um, a line chart where the light purple line represents the monthly sales volumes. And then we've got a six-month moving average over the top of that. So from this chart, you can see the peak of sales volumes was really late last year. Um, but over the past three months, successive increases in the cash rate flowing through to mortgage rates has essentially increased borrowing costs and deterred buyer activity. So sales volumes are still elevated above the five-year average, but they're starting to ease. And if you look at some of the regions where, the, like how those sales are tracking year on year, you can see that um, Sydney, for example, has seen one of the larger declines for sales volumes. And that's really where price declines are concentrated as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I think over the next couple of months, we'll get an interesting test for where the market is. Because although we've seen sales volumes fall, we would expect a bit of a seasonal slowdown through the winter months anyway. So I think the spring selling season is going to be a really interesting test of how well, um, well, first of all, how many new listings actually come onto the market, yeah. um, but also how well those are absorbed by buyers. Yeah, well, uh, the next graph that we bring up is uh, all about days on market. And we can see here that the days on market have expanded out from 20 days to 32, which is really quite significant. I mean, 20 days is a, is a fast market. But 32 is probably more your average, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. We are working back towards that longer term average in typical days on market. So what we're looking at there is of all the transactions that do happen in the market, we're looking at the median um, transaction event and how long it takes to go from the initial listing to marked as sold. Um, and as you say, it's gone from an incredibly low level of about 20 days up to 32 days uh, in about a six-month period. So essentially, this means that properties are sitting on the market for longer, which means that buyers have it a little easier when they're out in the market and, and a little more negotiating power. Yeah, and that's, that is the thing to talk about negotiating power. We'll go to our next graph, which also tells a really interesting story, and that is vendor discounting. And just to explain, vendor discounting is the list price to the eventual sale price and how much did that reduce by. And um, this, this is something 
that I've always found very, very useful to have a look at. Um, you know, when when we're looking at those slowdowns, they've, they've actually it's actually gone from two point eight two point eight percent to three point eight percent, which yeah, you might think is not a lot, but gee, one percent uh, across the board is is actually quite a lot of money. Yeah, it certainly is, um, I, especially when you're talking about some of those more expensive markets like Sydney and Melbourne, and you can see that the discounting rate across Sydney has actually deepened to almost 5%, um, which is huge. And to be honest, it's pretty in line with the peak to trough decline we've seen in Sydney values as well. Mm. So this is just another corroborating data point around the market slowdown. The fact that not only are properties taking longer to sell, but vendors are having to come to the table a bit more in offering a lower price, dropping their price expectations in order to get properties sold. So again, it points to a bit of a softening in housing market conditions, but on the bright side, it points to more of a buyer's market. Yeah, that's a definite swing, isn't it? It's interesting to note too that there are some real estate agents who've never experienced a market like this. I mean, we've had a very strong market for quite a long time now, and then the the focus changes from you know a seller's market to a buyer's market. A totally different skill set, but that's something for us to talk about one other time. the The other point I wanted to to raise with you, and we'll bring up our next graph now, and this is about newly advertised stock or newly advertised dwellings coming onto the market. What are we seeing this total stock levels still um, below the five year average? Yeah, total stock levels are still low relative to the five year average, but what you can can see in this chart. Um, I don't know if we've got the line chart that we can pull up. Yeah, we um, have. I think we've got the 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 chart that um, shows 143,000. That's right. Yeah. So you can see that is low relative to where it would usually be this time of year. Nationally, we're, we're looking at that uh, the the lower purple line, are we? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that that line represents 2022, yeah. and those other lines represent total advertised stock over the course of the year, um, but for the um, uh, five years prior. So we can see that 2022 is just starting to catch up with where total listings were this time last year. Um, But then in years prior, total advertised stock has been more around 200,000 listings. So, I mean, this has been one of the persistent features of the housing market through COVID is that a lot of Um, vendors initially wouldn't put their property on the market because they Mm. were concerned about lower prices through COVID. Then when they did start to put their properties on the market, they were selling extremely quickly. So total listings remained persistently low there um, for a number of years. What we're finally starting to see, though, is a bit of accumulation in total stock. And that's where that purple line is starting to catch up with the red line. I would expect that purple line to keep rising Throughout the course of the year. You would think that, yeah. Just because we're seeing longer days on market and that means an accumulation Mm. of stock. Um, Another way to put it might be that the stock is getting a bit more stale, right, Um, as it's taking longer to shift. So that's where the accumulation in total listings comes from, slowly but surely, and that increased supply, again, is going to um, be a benefit for, for buyers who will hopefully have some more choice. 
It's interesting, isn't it, for buyers, uh, and I know you're a current buyer, and we, we might get a chance to talk about that a little bit later, but um, to, those on market is a very important stat for a buyer to understand the importance of, because that talks about, and I don't like to use the word desperation, but that talks about the motivation of the seller. The longer the property is on the market, the more motivated they become, so therefore the more negotiable they become. And that's why this is a very important stat in my view, Eliza. Yeah, I think from the buyer's side, it's also indicative of how urgently you should be acting. Mm. Oh, yes. You know, how, how quickly you should work on getting your finance together, um, whether you should uh, be, be really active in terms of chasing up agents or if you let them come to you. Um, it, it's definitely a valuable indicator and you know that that data can be made available down to lower geographies as well so um you know definitely worth keeping keeping across that metric yeah if you're wondering where you can get that uh, it is available on on the portal so i know on realty uh, each listing has you know when it was originally listed and how long it's been on the market so those stats are readily available. Let, let's just move to our next graphic, which is the last one I want to bring up in this segment. Now, I, I think it talks a lot to, once again, the difference between the capital cities and the regions in terms of new stock. And here I want to draw a comparison, if I could, between South Australia and Victoria. We look at South Australia, um, you know, where we've had really good uh, growth in the last, uh, in the last quarter. Uh, if you look at Adelaide and uh, and then the rest of South Australia, and you also look at Melbourne and the rest of Victoria, you can see how those cap city markets play a big part in what happens with stock and values. Yeah, so as we sort of touched on when we looked at the changes in the home value index, a lot of that decline was concentrated in the capital city markets. And this indicator of supply the new listings coming to market uh, is another explainer of of that dynamic because we're seeing many more listings now across the capital cities than we were this time last year. Across regional Australia, your new stock levels are still fairly tight. Um, And I guess this data is interesting because it does show for Adelaide at least a a relatively recent um, lift in the influx of new properties coming onto the market relative to last year, Mm -hmm. which I think points to a bit of a change in the dynamic for Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, to be clear, the dynamic of each market is slightly different, but we do expect that markets that are still in positive territory in terms of their price change markets like Adelaide, Perth and Darwin, even though they're still growing in value, the growth rates are slowing right down and we do expect that they'll follow into a bit of a decline as well. But again, probably not to the same extent of what we'd see in Sydney and Melbourne. Excellent. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I certainly am. My conversation with Eliza Owen from CoreLogic. Going to come back after the break. We'll talk about rents and also lending. And uh, before we close off on the show, I I want to bring up a graphic that, keeps everything in perspective. I think when we look at the history of what has happened with the RBA over the last several years. So we're going to do that. That's coming up next. Stay with us. This is Realty Talk. I'm Kevin Turner. My guest is Eliza Owen, and we'll be back in just a moment. 
Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Welcome back. This is Realty Talk. Uh, my guest is Eliza Owen from CoreLogic, and we're going to shift our focus now to talk about lending and also rents and returns. Not a good story for renters. Uh, I suppose you've got to expect that rents are going to increase, but uh, let's bring up our next graph that talks about this and what's happening with rent values, Eliza. Uh, they're continuing to grow really strongly. So you can see from this chart, the annual change in national rent values is 10% year on year. Um, you can see that's an absolute surge from the period between 2017 and um, mid 2020. Um, very different to what we saw at the onset of COVID where rents were being quite subdued and declining in a lot of areas because of the uh, international border closures, where a lot of new rental demand does come from people arriving to Australia from overseas. Um, but since then, we've had um, income increases, we've seen fiscal stimulus, we've seen the reopening of Australian borders, and we've seen some interesting uh, domestic trends in the rental market where people were spreading out during COVID. So essentially the average number of people per household declined. So all of these factors have really soaked up whatever available rental stock there is. Vacancy rates around the country are now around 1% or lower in a lot of areas. And that's what's driving that continual growth in mm. rent values. So up almost 1% again in July, taking annual growth to almost 10%. Yeah, like I know we hear in the headlines all the time about the struggle to get a rental property and the cost of renting now. And that little line on the right-hand side of the graph here showing that phenomenal growth in the last couple of years really highlights how expensive it is now to rent a property. Do you, do you see that continuing to climb, Eliza? Um, look, unfortunately, yes. I I think the only slight shift I've seen in the data is a bit of an easing in the growth rate of regional rents. Um, for the capital city numbers, we're still seeing rent values increase. And a part of that is that Sydney and Melbourne, where rents were initially falling at the onset of the pandemic, are now seeing this period of catch up. Um, and this is very tied to the inflationary environment that we have at the moment because rent values are a component of CPI or, or the inflationary measure. So I think if CoreLogic is showing higher rent valuations, that's going to flow through to higher rents being paid when people come to their renewal term on their lease, mm. they'll probably find landlords are asking for a higher amount of rent. Um, and that means that inflation will continue to rise as well. 
So it is it is a really tricky situation. And I think one of the only ways that renters might be able to relieve their rental costs is um, by increased share housing and a bit of a yeah. reversal of what we saw during the pandemic where people were more spread out. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you make there. And I, I guess to um, let's bring up our next graph who talk about lending. Uh, and this really highlights the problem, doesn't it? I mean, lending purchases fell by 4.4%, but it's not just in one sector. It's uh, investors, first home buyers, it's owner occupiers, they're all down. So what's really interesting is you'd think that price falls would be an opportune time for mm. first home buyers to get into the market. But first home buyer lending actually saw the steepest decline month on month, a decline of 10% in new borrowing for the purchase of property. Yep. Again, that's a function of higher interest rates and first home buyers probably having less um income to to service a mortgage at higher rates, given that first-term buyers tend to be younger mm. um, and they wouldn't have the kind of equity that, say, a second-home buyer might have. Um, so the, the you know, second-home home buyer or, or non-first-home buyer owner-occupier segment is probably holding up the best. And then, as you say, um, with the rental situation, this isn't helped by the fact that investors have started to come out of the market as well. Um, we are expecting because of the upward pressure in rent values, this is driving an increase in gross yields. Yeah. It could be that investors might need a little more certainty around where interest rates are going to end up before they get back into the market. Mm. Yeah, well, our, our final um, graph, which we'll bring up a little later, is, is probably going to help them make that decision. I guess, but but we'll we'll come to that in a moment. I, I want to bring up um, our next graph, which really talks to our long-term fixed rates uh, and and what's happening in both the sectors, both uh, owner occupiers and investors. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is fascinating because um, COVID brought with it the emergency cash rate setting of zero point one percent. Um, and that really drove down fixed rates. During that time, we saw a, for Australia a quite unusual surge in, in fixed rate borrowing as well. Now those dynamics are very different. Um, fixed rates, particularly with a longer term of three years or more, uh, have surged to be about 150 basis points higher than the variable rate. So that means in the lending space, we're going to see a lot more borrowers pivot back to variable rate lending. Um, and it it's just quite extraordinary how much that has changed in the space of about a year. Um, and I guess we'd see a lot of refinancing starting to happen in the next couple of years as well. Yeah. In fact, ABS housing lending data does show external refinancing hit hit another record high through June. So, um, yeah, a lot of pivoting off the back of what's happening in those interest rates. Mm. Okay, well, let's uh, round the show up by putting everything in perspective. I want to bring up our final um, graphic, which talks about the RBA and what's happened um, over a, a pretty lengthy period. We're going back to, what, 2006, I think, and just have a look at that graph and where we are now. Uh, where we are now, in fact, uh, we haven't been there since, what is it, 2016, Eliza? 
Yeah, that's right. So long-term Australia's housing market has been supported by a low interest rate environment off the back of the GFC. Um, You see the very steep decline through the COVID period. And now, even though rate rises have been successive and quite steep, it still only brings rates back to a little higher than their pre-pandemic level. The decade average for interest rates has been sitting at around 2.5%. Um, so it, it is quite an extraordinary reversal, and I think it could spell out some pain for more recent borrowers in particular that have um, become more indebted over the past couple of years. Um, but ultimately, the cash rate is still sitting quite low relative to where we've seen it in previous decades. Now, I mentioned during the show that you you are currently a buyer in the market. I thought it might be a nice way to end to talk about some of your experiences. What, what are you finding? Is it is it difficult for you to find the sort of property you're looking for and whereabouts are you looking? Yeah, so I've been renting in Sydney's inner west for almost a decade <laughs> And in light of my renewal likely to deliver higher rents, but I've also accumulated savings, I'm thinking prices are falling. It's got to be a good time to buy. Uh, What I have learned is that there are pros and cons to trying to buy in a downturn. Obviously, you do have that negotiating power. Uh, I'm definitely being followed up by real estate agents, which is lovely. (laughs) I think they're having to put quite a bit more work in at at the moment. Um, Your name might help too, you know. Oh, <laughs> that's very flattering. But I, don't, you know, we we service them, so I've got to be good during this process. Um, but I find it really interesting because it, I, my experience does match what we're seeing in the data around falling prices and properties taking longer to sell. But I am noticing the nature of the stock is maybe not. Um, quite a match with with the buyers that are out there. A lot of the buyers are people who either have lots of equity um, and, uh, you know, are, are, um, trying to uh, buy into something nicer. Um, we're also seeing people like myself, you know, just people who've been saving for a long time. However, the nature of the stock is more vendors who are selling because they need to right? Maybe they're upsizing themselves or, um, you know, it's just that the nature of the stock is maybe uh, not as ideal as what you'd see during an upswing where lots of people are trying to cash in on the boom. And so you get a lot more choice. I'm hoping that the spring selling season delivers a few more new properties to market that might match, you know, the kind of longer term owner occupier um, style property that I'm looking for. But it's, been a really um really insightful time to kind of actually experience what we're seeing in the data it's interesting because i uh, for many many years i was training real estate agents and i I used to say to them you know every agent should be made to buy and or sell a property every year because you get to see what it's really like and um you know what you're experiencing now is what it's really like and it's it's not easy and here you are in, in the perfect position to be able to work out what a property might be worth because of who you work with and what you do. But it's not easy, is it? It's certainly not. I think there's never necessarily a terrible time to buy, and I don't think there's ever a perfect time to buy either. So I'm 
realizing a few more of those pros and cons. I think the the good news for agents is that at least in my experience, the properties that I've been going to inspect do have a lot of people showing up and there are still plenty of um, buyers out there. I think it's just a matter of um, stock availability and the quality of those properties that are on the market as well. It's, uh, it's really interesting, uh, you know, when you are buying, not to get caught up in, I guess this is easy for me to say, but not how much you pay. But, but, but you know, while that's important, uh, it's not the only factor. You've got to be comfortable with what you're buying, particularly if it's your own home. And even if you pay an extra 1000 or 2000 for a property that you really want, over the long term, it really doesn't matter. Um, because here you'll be coming out of a rental market uh, and buying into a reasonably healthy, healthy sort of a market. But I guess the bottom line is, remember, you always make money out of real estate when you buy, not when you sell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that long-term resale value is something that I'm definitely keeping in mind. And that comes back to the quality of the property as well. Yes, it does. Yeah. Eliza, it's always great talking to you. Thank you for giving us so much of your valuable time today and congratulations to you and the team at CoreLogic on that wonderful report. And watch out for it. As Eliza said, it comes out every month and you can get it by going to the website, corelogic.com.au. Eliza, all the best. Happy house hunting. And um, I look forward to hearing (laughs) when you are successful. Yes, hopefully I'll have some good news for you in the next couple of months. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Thanks, Eliza. And thank you for being with us. I'm Kevin Turner. This has been Real Estate. uh, uh, There I go. That's what it used to be called. It's now called Realty Talk. But uh, And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. I think Bushy will be back next week, so we'll see you then. All the best. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 